the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And welcome back as hour three, a long time saying in the progressive movements in America was to speak truth to power. There's been no greater example of that than parents taking back control of their education by showing up at school board meetings and state board of education meetings. One such parent, Keisha King, did so. About a month ago in Florida, gave one of the most beautiful, perfect speeches you could about America and critical race theory. It drew the attention of the governor, Ron DeSantis, who helped put it viral. I am delighted to have Keisha King with us tonight. Mrs. King, thanks for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm great to be here. Can I, um, as a first-time guest, ask you what I ask every first-time guest? Tell us a little bit about yourself, a little autobiography, how you grew up and how you came to be doing what you're doing. Sure. So I'm originally from the South, uh, but my family moved to Connecticut when I was 13, and then I lived a little bit in New York, and that really sort of gave me, I feel like, a well-balanced mindset or a well-balanced worldview. Yeah, (laughs) I can imagine. (laughs) Um, And so I used to actually uh, sing professionally. I actually got to sing the national anthem uh, at four Trump rallies, so that was an honor. Oh, my gosh. Um, but my move into conservatism happened uh, right after the 2016 election. My a close family relative, uh, we were having a discussion about Black Lives Matter. And so uh, I was concerned about, you know, all the riots and everything. And I said, well, let, let me go look up and see how many other black men have been killed by uh, the police as opposed to uh, crime in, in black neighborhoods. And I was astonished by the numbers. It prompted me to keep digging into uh, further sort of common statistics, and I ran across Dr. Thomas Sowell, which uh, was transformational um, in helping me understand a lot of the historical things in America. And the more the more transformational thing that happened was um, I am a woman of faith, and I was just you know praying about all these different things because all of my life I had heard that you know. Black, you know, being black, it was, uh, you know, kind of like a curse. You know, you're, you have to work two times harder. You know, all these white folks are against you and yada, 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 on and on. And so, you know, just in prayer about it and God spoke to my heart and he told me that my skin color had become an idol in my life. That revelation was utterly transformative. It completely changed everything. I felt it felt like years of an oppressive mindset that just fell away at the revelation of seeing myself through my identity in Christ and not through my skin color. It was, I don't know another word, but it was just divine revelation and such a transformative uh, moment. And it changed everything. And it just prompted, prompted me to get more involved in politics because of just things that I had seen in the public school system with my youngest daughter, who's a special needs child, 
Um, and just also just a lot of things at that time were happening in our country, if you remember back in uh, 2015, 16, 17. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, and just started volunteering with the Jacksonville Young Republicans, became the director of communications on the board, um, then got an opportunity to work for the RNC uh, for Black Voices for Trump. And I led that organization here in Jacksonville uh, throughout the, the uh, Trump campaign for 2020. And, you know, I still stayed involved after the election and heard about this hearing at the uh, Department of Education. You know, I had spoken before uh, school boards and in front of, um, you know, these school hearings that we had had here in Jacksonville because uh, they were we were having this whole thing about school name changes and all that. And so I, I really didn't think anything of the speech because it was something similar that I had already said to, like, different school board mm-hmm. uh, meetings and things. So when it went viral, it, it was kind of weird because I'm like, well, I've been saying this, but okay. Okay, good. Um, so that's sort of in a nutshell uh, the quick version of a little history about me. Well, thank you for that. I appreciate <laughs> it. It's it's a it's a great history, and and maybe the uh, uh, a departing point for another interview um, on larger issues uh, in the future. If you'll come back and and treat this as a down payment, I want to talk to you <laughs> about this speech it, it, that you gave. Um, filled filled with just not only wonderful uh, and concise history, but passion. Let me start where you ended and ask you to fill this out. You, you said at the conclusion of your speech, our ancestors, white, black, and others, hung, bled, and died right alongside each other to push America toward the more perfect union. If CRT continues, we will look back and be responsible for the dismantling of the greatest country in the world by reverting to teaching hate. And that race is a determining factor on where your destiny lies. I agree with every word you said. You said it perfectly, Keisha. On the other hand, don't you feel sometimes like the entire education establishment, including the NEA and the AFT, disagrees with you? Um, I'm sure they probably do. Uh, I'm sure some of them probably think that they're doing the right thing. Um, I'm sure some of them have evil intentions. And unfortunately, I think that that is more of the case um, with, with a lot of these administrators of people, you know, these school board members and these uh, NEA uh, administrators. Um, it's unfortunate. I Yeah, they do, they do disagree with me. They came right out and said that they are going to push back against all parents and against... Um, People who are trying to fight against uh, critical race theory, and they're going to continue to push critical race theory in schools. They did say so that. Clearly, yes, the NEA yes, says that they are fighting to fighting efforts to ban critical race theory. The head of the American Federation of Teachers, I guess they need to go outside and get their story straight, because the NEA is saying they're going to try and ban efforts to stop CRT, but the AFT is saying CRT is not taught in our schools. Let them get their right. story straight. You know darned well it's being taught in the schools. It absolutely is being taught in schools, and there are countless uh, stories that parents have. There's countless evidence that parents have, students have. Uh, this is widespread. It's been it, it, it has been happening right under our noses, and you know, of course, we hate COVID and all of the mess that it's caused. But it has certainly um, enabled parents to see inside of the classrooms and see exactly what was going on with our little ones 
And we are appalled. And I will say uh, that the worst thing that these people could have done was to mess with our kids because when you like, we'll, we'll take a lot of stuff. Yep. But when you start to come after our kids, yep. that is a line too far. And we did not co-sign, you know, to co-parent with the NEA, the school board, superintendents, teachers, or anyone that is taking care um, has any uh, effect on our children. This is not a co-parenting agreement. Right. This is right. my. These are our children, and what we say goes, not the other way around. You took a, um, well, before I come to that question, let me run this by you. In our uh, major newspaper, the Arizona Republic this morning, Keisha, a professor from the University of Texas at Austin wrote, it appears that the ultimate goal of the anti-CRT efforts is to prevent any discussion about racism that presents America as less than perfect. Um, Keisha, I've been in history textbook wars. I've written history textbooks. I've been in this movement for a long time. I got to tell you, I don't know anyone in the anti-CRT effort who's trying to prevent discussions about race or wants to see America as less than perfect. In fact, even the conservative history textbooks put slavery right up there in the preface. This is a lie. Yes. I mean, you really can't hide (laughs) slavery from America. Uh, you can't, I mean, like, how? <laughs> that is absurd. It's just a way to get leftist Democrats and particularly black folks, um, black and brown folks, to be outraged uh, with the idea that conservatives just want to be more racist. Um, that has been the Democrat sort of mantra for years, trying to paint conservatives, Republicans in this way that we're just all racist. Um, which is absurd, because if you know anything about the Republican Party's history, we're not the racist ones. We never have been, and we never will be. Um, But they have painted that narrative about Republicans. It is a lie, Um, and we we do have to do a better job as conservatives um, to combat that lie. Uh, but it's it's an easy thing to get people to shut up. If you call someone a racist, that's, that's one of the... You know, that's one of the things that no, I mean, nobody wants to be called that. You're literally uh, marked out of, out of, you know, banished from society. No, that's right. That's right. I almost wonder if its overuse is going to water that down, which would be unfortunate, just as the use of fascist and Nazi has been watered down. And I think that's unfortunate. i got to take a quick commercial break, Keisha. Can you stay just a little longer? I want to go over a few other things in your speech if you have the time. Sure, yeah. That would be wonderful. We are talking to Keisha King. I am Seth Liebson. She is the Florida pl- parent who lit up the state of Florida and uh, social media with her speech to the State Board of Education there. God bless her for doing it. You want truth to power, this is it. We'll have more from Keisha King and on critical race theory when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Delighted to have Keisha King with us. She is a Florida mother and activist who is doing her level best to stop critical race theory from further infecting not only her children, but the children in the rest of the state of Florida. Keisha, you made an interesting argument in your presentation that I wanted to ask you a little bit about. I remember well um, in the Brown versus Board of Education decision 
that much was made of the psychological effects on black children under notions of separate but equal. You you made an interesting side point here in your speech. You said, I don't know about you, but telling my child or any child that they are in a permanent oppressed status in America because they are black is racist. And any saying that white people are automatically above me or my children or any child is racist as well. At bottom, CRT does do this, doesn't it? It does instruct children in a minority status, African-American, Hispanic-American perhaps, but primarily African-American or black. It does tell them that they are inferior and that the rest of the country thinks of them as that, does it not? And what is that psychological effect? It absolutely does. One of the first tenets of critical race theory is that America is intrinsically racist. Racism is ingrained into the fiber, into every single institution, organization, every single, everything. And so the outworking of that idea is that white, uh, the white, male, heterosexual, able-bodied, Christian, you know, on and on, is are deemed the oppressor and everyone else is oppressed. Well, particularly speaking about uh, black children, if we are telling them that, I, I, I don't under, I don't see how we are expecting them to produce anything but that. Because we all know the more you tell someone something, especially if it's negative, they will hold on to it and likely that will be the outworking of their life. So we will see a lot of uh, non-white children who carry this this mindset of of being oppressed. And I I don't think we want to live in a society where all of these children who become adults have no hope. Well, I think think you're right, and I think it's an ugly thing to do that creates – Division beyond anything I can imagine, quite frankly, mm-hmm. outside of the mid 19th century. When we, we know from pedagogy, we, we know that when you tell a child or a pupil uh, what they are, they become, you know, if you tell them they're stupid, they will, they will become stupid. Uh, mm-hmm. If you tell them mm-hmm. that they are oppressed, they will think that they are oppressed. If you tell them, the white man wants to oppress them. They will think of all white people this way. The point of prejudice, isn't it, Keisha? Isn't the problem with prejudice is that we take an entire group and make those attributes applicable to an individual? Isn't isn't that really the problem of of, of prejudice? Is 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 we judge one person by an entire arbitrary group they may belong to, and why is that any different in the reverse? Why is this not collective group guilt against every white person in America? It is. It it certainly is. Um, I don't know why this is even a hard thing to see. Right. I, that's why I think people are willful, willfully doing it, mm-hmm. because it's obvious. I mean, these are supposed to be educators. And, I mean, we all know, like you just said, if you keep telling a child something, they're going to believe it. So the idea that these teachers or teachers unions and school board members are telling all of these and even being an oppressor, mm-hmm. even that is a, that is a lot of that is you will create a very guilt. Yeah, you're putting a lot on the white kids, shame. too. You bet. You're putting you bet. a lot. You're you right. You bet. And it is it is it is a it is creating an ugly, deep divide. Like I said in the speech, we're reverting back to a place 
that we fought so hard to come from. I, I just. That's what's so odd. That is what is so that that is what is so baffling to me, because I thought we were all on board here generally, with the exception of maybe some weirdos over at the Nation of Islam or something. I thought we were by and large on board generally that separate but equal is not equal, that uh, that that people are to be judged not by uh, the color of the skin, but by the fact that they are a human being. Uh, under the go- under the laws of nature and God, that's what I thought we came together on. Martin Luther King wasn't great just because he was a great orator. He was great because he gave us uh, something we could all rally around that spoke to the best of America. And now we see corporations as much as schools resegregating us, Keisha. We have we're we're separating by race all over again, as if we didn't go through the 1960s or the 1860s. It's, it's a shame, you know, and, and when I went to speak at some of these school meetings, these children already carry a, a hate as if they grow, they're growing up in 1935 yeah. or 40 or 50. They, they, are, they are so angry because the adults have put this idea into their heads that they are somehow living in Jim Crow, the Jim Crow South. The end to bell themselves. I mean, it is. These children are not oppressed. My children are certainly not oppressed. <laughs> you know, and it, it's a shame. It. I, I almost. What we need to get back in school, or maybe need to focus more on, is paying attention to countries that really do have oppression, so these children can see what real oppression looks like. Real oppression is not you not getting uh, your favorite iPhone uh, that you wanted to get. That is not oppression. Real oppression is not knowing where your next meal will be and knowing that there, there is no government that will come to save you like you have in America. There is no social security safety net. There is no welfare or anything, even if you are you know, a person that is struggling to get it together. They don't have that in other countries. I think a lot of these people need to go and see what real oppression looks like. And I think that's missing. Oh, I, oh I, 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 quite, I, quite, I quite agree. I, I think of the National Basketball Association, which justifies continually doing business with a country that engages in slave labor, why it allows and makes popular the notion that we shouldn't stand for our national anthem because we actually got rid of slavery over 150 years ago. This is, this is, this is the kind of idiocy we're dealing with, isn't it, Keisha? Right. And it's it's laughable. I mean, you have people like Oprah Winfrey yep. saying that a, a homeless white guy's whiteness gives them a better shot at life yeah. than her. I right. mean, it's just absurd. It's it's. It's ridiculous at this point. I can't. I can't take some of these people seriously. No, I know. Um, it's a hell of a racist country where you grow up wearing a barrel <laughs> and end up being a billionaire when your name is Oprah, right? Isn't is that amazing? Isn't that um, amazing? It, it, Keisha, yeah. you're 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 wonderful. You're amazing. As I said, I hope this can be a down payment, and I can call on you again. May your voice and strength continue to grow. I really appreciate what you're doing. Thank you so much, and I would love to come back anytime. Love to have you. Keisha King, God bless you. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank, Thank you. you. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back.
I wanted to ask you something, Bill. I've been meaning to. You, uh, you've been maintaining the running up and down the stairs. So my producer, Bill, runs up and down the stairs to keep in shape. And you come in with your black athletic shoes. And then you change them into something else. So you run the stairs. And then you change back into your black athletic shoes. What, what are we doing here? Why, why not just wear the shoes, one pair of shoes? Oh, I've got my running shoes. Those are the ones I use on the stairwell. And these are just regular walking shoes. Walking and running are so different for foot support, apparently. You know who changed their shoes all the time? I was thinking about Mr. Rogers. And we all just accepted that. And I, th- there may be f- no, few, no, no greater fans than, of Mr. Rogers than I am. I love Mr. Rogers. We've played a lot of his speeches on this show. Uh, but he would come in, and the first thing he would do is change his shoes. And then change his shoes again. Do people change their shoes when they're at home and wear a different pair of shoes? I don't think so. The question is, why would you do it at work when you have – just wear your one pair of shoes or stop this anyway. Mr. Rogers. Do you want to be called Mr. Rogers? We've called you Anthony before. Been called worse than Mr. Rogers, certainly. Keisha was quite something and God love her. Uh, it reminds me of the line from Proverbs, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. She was a word. She gave a word. She delivered words fitly spoken. By the way, Abraham Lincoln did a wonderful job with that phrase in Proverbs in comparing our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Are you aware of how he did that? He um, His point was that... Um, the Declaration of Independence were our apples of gold framed by the Constitution, which was the frame of silver. And he thought the important point to make here was that the frame was for the apples. The apples were not for the frame. The Constitution was to um, highlight and enforce the Declaration of Independence. The Declaration of Independence was not made for the Constitution. Um, That was Abraham Lincoln on a word fitly spoken. Keisha probably knows all of that. But one of the things I thought interesting to her is that that she is a conversion story. She is someone who moved from left to right. And she said, if I, uh, let me restart that sentence. She said one of the books that got her there was Tom, one of the authors that got her there was Discovering Thomas Sowell. It's interesting how many people say that and attribute Thomas Sowell to their conservatism. There are others, Thomas Sowell, perfectly fine, particularly his book, The Vision of the Anointed, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But what's interesting to me is you now understand why they try to deplatform and censor our best and smartest speakers. They're not going after dunderheads. They're going after the president, God knows. They're going after Candace. They're going after Prager U. They're going after Thomas Sowell. They're going after the Scott Atlases. You name it, if you're persuasive, that's the reason they want to shut you down and shut you up. The more persuasive and the smarter, the more they come after you. So take it as a point of honor, I suppose, 
that they only tackle the person with the football. The vision of the anointed, Thomas Sowell. Um, uh, Victor Hansen was actually writing about it the other day, uh, saying that that book demonstrated how black families and communities in the post-World War II era were successfully headed, believe it or not, with equality towards the white middle class. Despite all odds, the post-World War II black society statistically was moving into parity, equality with the white middle class. They had found success mostly, Hansen writes, through their own self-discipline, community standards, of course, the church, traditions of hard work, uh, perseverance against bias, all resulting in stable families, small business, and yes, religious observance. And then came, that was, by the way, Truman and Eisenhower, a little bit of Kennedy, but then came Lyndon Johnson, and everything changed, and we'll tell you why when we come back. People still won't tell me why the song uh, Havana Daydreaming is stuck in my head like an earworm. I brought this up a week ago. It's still there. It's been there for a month. I don't know what to do about it. That is, yeah, but the song, the same artist, the song uh, Havana Daydreaming is stuck in Is that Does anyone have a solution to getting rid of an earworm? That would be great. I would like to know. It's the same earworm. It's always been Havana Daydreaming. Oh, I'm saying get a different earworm. Oh, get a different earworm. You can only replace it with another oh, earworm. Oh, is that the only – you always have to have an earworm? I think so. What's, what's you, you just hope the next one – Well, what's yours right now? Something from Rush? Sure. You could try that. What? No, you. What is your earworm? Oh, I don't think I have one Well, right then now. you don't always have to have an earworm. You can you can have a maximum You're like a of defender one. of CRT. You just fold like a paper napkin the moment that we push back. What? You can only ever have a maximum of one stuck in your head. You can have zero – but if you have I one, want zero. Okay. That's what I'm trying to get. I'm not trying to replace it with another one. I, I got nothing for that. I have a 10-pound anvil strapped to my neck. Okay? I have a millstone. I don't want to replace it with another 10-pound one or a 12-pound one or an 8-pound one. I want it off. No more I, Sisyphus for you, right? Thank you. Thank you. Myron Magnet, who's been on this show, wrote the most important book on welfare ever. It's called The Dream and the Nightmare. And if you want to understand the problems with welfare, John the Mentee, that's the book you want. Myron Magnet, The Dream and the Nightmare. He writes that he was the first one to argue that culture, not racism, or lack of jobs, or the welfare system was the cause of underclass America. Not that the culprit was some kind of culture of poverty or even what used to be called a ghetto culture. The problem lay in the majority culture led by elite institutions, universities, the judiciary, the press, charitable foundations, even mainline churches. American culture went through a revolution in the 1960s which transformed some of the most basic beliefs and values, including beliefs about the causes of poverty. When the new attitudes reached the poor, and particularly the urban minority poor, the result 
was catastrophic. Many of the new culture's beliefs downplayed the personal responsibility, self-control, and the deferral of gratification that it takes to succeed. All of that today, the Smithsonian, by the way, calls white culture. So we're reinforcing to blacks that this is not their culture. Responsibility, self-control, deferral of gratification. Awful. Awful. It's a moral crime, what the Smithsonian did. At the same time, the new culture celebrated, if it feels good, do it, self-indulgence, that for the poor whose lives have less margin for error than the non-poor, proved disastrous. The social policy that these ideas engendered compounded the disaster. So Victor Davis Hansen says that the Great Society was a one-two punch with the agendas of the upper class, white liberals, and the pernicious social and cultural legacy of the 60s, giving a new culture, the revolution magnet talks about, that didn't exist in America. It was quite revolutionary as cultural shifts go, from abortion on demand, promiscuity, rejection of religious faith, single-parent family, drug use, crime and violence as revolutionary acts seen and justified as political. Tron bomb was dropped on the black community, but without compensatory resources of the white suburbanite. Again, less margin for error when you're poor or less wealthy. All that said, one thing, and the only thing Hansen says could be said for the 60s, there was a wild spirit of freedom and suspicion of centralized authority akin to... Well, he goes into a classical reference I don't need to. I'll just say there was a wild spirit of freedom and suspicion of centralized authority. Many of the songs of CCR, the band, Bob Dylan, they were all about individuals taking risks. Um, The 60s were not trigger warnings. They were not safe spaces. They were not concerned with microaggressions. Instead, everything was a shotgun blast, open season on everything with in-your-face challenges to the established social order, which was going on just fine until we upset all the tables and apple carts and got broken homes and bitter fruit. Okay, that's my uh, pitch. Mike is in Maricopa. Hello, Mike. Yes, Seth. Okay, my advice on your your Havana Daydreaming song. Oh, yeah, okay. I have, I have heard that if you want to hear a song throughout the day, you know, like you're driving to work and you hear the song, you shut it off in the middle of the song, and that way it'll keep spinning in your mind. So my psychological suggestion to you is you listen to the song and let it play all the way through, and then the song ends and it's gone. Or take the second half of the song and only listen to it. Because if you listen to the first half, it stays in your head. No, no, you don't think that works. No, I, okay. I would just start, right. at the, start, at, start at the beginning, listen to the song all the way through, and shut Jimmy Buffett off. And and you think I'll be okay? I'll do it on the way home, and we'll what? see if I'm cured I've, by tomorrow. How's that? 
That's what Dr. Mike is prescribing. Okay, Mike, we'll give it a shot. Thank you. And you'll let me know tomorrow. I will. Um, I will. I'll, I'll experiment. Okay. We will experiment on the way home. I will drive home without a mask and listen to the whole song. Oh, see, Bill's going to make trouble for us here. We'll be right back. My friend Steve says that's maybe the most conservative song in rock pop music history. I'm not sure. Hard to want to give that to Bob Dylan, but... um, Boy, he's lasted a long time, and he deserves his due. So, too, I want to uh, just reaffirm and give the last word of the show today to this brave woman, Keisha King. You know, it can't be easy to take on the State Board of Education as nothing more than being a mother of two children. All the harder how much so it must be. How much so more the difficult when you are a black mother standing up against a bunch of whites who are telling you they know your history better than you. My suspicion, and I would love to see a poll on this, I don't know how we could do it. Someone ought to commission this. But my suspicion is critical race theory is more popular in white elite communities than in urban communities. It's a suspicion I have, and I believe it. I'd like to be proven wrong if i am wrong i don't think i am i think this is a white elite imposed marxist doctrine that yet again will be another failed experiment on a population that has been too experimented with i'll say that again i think this is a terribly dangerous experiment with the highest of stakes the education of our children and our and their culture they grow up in imposed upon a community too used to having terrible experiments done to them. That's where I'll stand and fight, and anyone who wants to join me. This is the heart. This is the heartbeat of the problem in America right now, this very issue. They want to tell us race matters, you bet, just not the way they think. I'm Seth Liebson. Until tomorrow, God bless you all, and class dismissed.